I am fascinated, intrigued, and honored you by may the have done what they said you did, but they are magnificent, they marvelous. You are. We need to know that you're okay just the way you are. Molded you as a child. What you've been through matters. This podcast is designed for you. It's Love on a mission in a world where human experience is lacking. My name is Ginger Wilk, and we're here to talk about that which matters. Welcome to That Which Matters. I really want to continue with the last episode was about standing guard against unhealthy and destructive church and community-based experiences. So for those of you that did not listen to that podcast, I suggest that you do. What we did talk about is the fact that it's so important that we stand our guard against these patterns that can be very, very unhealthy to focus on establishing boundaries as it pertains to events and activities, friends and acquaintances, volunteerism, our own children, family, and finances to protect yourself from losing balance and getting lost in that particular community or institution, making sure that there is nothing that is too extreme and that there are healthy boundaries that are placed around all of those areas and, and more as well. So we're going to continue on with this topic. Very, very important that everybody is able to be well equipped to know how to guard against things that can be unhealthy because sometimes you can get very entangled in some of these communities and feel guilty about uh, setting the boundaries later on. It's really important that you do them from the very beginning or that you start to do them and stay on guard all along through these areas. So when we're in these particular communities, especially the ones that we're passionate about, part of the problem and the reason why we get a little bit over the top with how much time we're investing in volunteering or how much money we're giving or uh, how many events we're attending is that, you know, the truth is we want to please God. If it's a religious organization, a temple, a mosque, a, a Christian church, we want to please God. So we invest so much into this local community. And at times we're able to realize that we're not necessarily advancing the kingdom of God, but we're more pouring into just a local church. So there's a difference between serving and advancing the kingdom of God and just volunteering a heck of a lot in one particular local church or mosque or temple or whatever it might be. So there's a big difference in taking a look at that. What am I doing and is it advancing the kingdom? It may not be directly all the time, but most of it should be. We need at times an escape sometimes. That's why we get caught up in these things as well, is that we need an escape. Not only do we want to please God, but sometimes we're going through some very difficult things in our lives, and these situations are very, very heavy, or we feel like failures. Let's just say we feel like failures in our marriage or in our um, financial situation or in our jobs. We're not advancing the way that we want to in our jobs, but when we're in that church community or that temple or that mosque or whatever it might be, we feel good there. There we have a lot of clout. And so that's what makes us want to return to that all the time because we have that clout and we have that escape. And we have to be careful of that because that's not the right motives necessarily to be able to spend all of our time. We also do want to be useful and productive and we want to have worth and there's nothing wrong with that. But again, we need to have balance. We need to have rest. 
we need to know that productivity can come in a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to all be in one particular place. But these are the motives that continue to drive that excessive volunteerism or um, kind of attendance. We also do want to belong and we want to be loved. So again, these motives aren't wrong. There's a sense of belonging that we want to have, but there's many, many times where these communities can actually come to a point where that belonging can be threatened, actually, um, where things shift and change. And if you say the wrong thing or you don't attend as many things as you should or new people come in where that sense of belonging can be threatened. That's another reason why in the last episode I focused on spreading your experiences so that when things do shift and change, your whole world doesn't collapse. Also, we want this magical kind of end of the rainbow type experience. And so a lot of us will think, well, if I serve and serve and serve, it's going to earn me a little bit like what we talked about with the older son in the prodigal son story. It'll earn me this grace and favor that will come from God. The more I serve, I'm just going to keep doing it. And then at the end of that rainbow, there's going to be this pot of gold. And one thing that you'll realize is that's not usually the case. God blesses, but he doesn't bless on behalf of what we do. That's part of our relationship with him that we want to serve him. But God blesses because he loves us and he blesses because we commit our plans to him and because of other things that are applied and because he just really wants to just be there for his children, not because we're workhorses. And it's real important to understand the difference because otherwise you can build up a lot of resentment towards God because you're thinking that he's not coming through. So these needs, wanting to belong, wanting to be productive, wanting to escape, uh, wanting this magical end of the rainbow pot of gold makes us vulnerable. And that's what happens is that we become vulnerable to getting caught up in something that is not healthy for us. And a lot of what I have found is surrounding the fact that there tends to be this idolatry that happens of a leader. And I'm not saying that it's something that the leader is looking for. I'm talking about the fact that the people tend to kind of gravitate towards that and it creates something that's very unhealthy. So for instance, I want to read 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 21. When Samuel, who was a prophet, by the way, grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of the firstborn was Joel, and the name of the second one was Abijah. And they served in Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all of the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint us a king to lead such as all the other nations have. But when they said, God, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. 
Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground, his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us to fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. That scripture is jam-packed, and I really suggest that you go back and read that, 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 21. It is jam-packed, and this is the thing that I've noticed as well, the trends that are out there, and I've fallen into it myself, is that God is constantly trying to say to us, I'm your king, I'm your leader, I'm the one to speak to you, I'm the one to lead you, I'm the one to guide you through these things and to minister to you and to be there and don't get caught up in worshiping other people and other leaders but as humans we tend to fall into this and when i say worship i know it's a strong word because we think about people just like bowing down and kissing the feet of a human that's not how it happens but a lot of times there is a shift that goes and you can see in some of the very very severe cultic churches and places that there literally is that type of idolatry that happens but in many many groups it's slight it's small but it's there and that's what drives it but it seems that people are always constantly saying we don't really care we want it anyway and and there's a huge emphasis on that particular leader getting involved in his or her life what's going on with them and subtly but over time it becomes a shift that goes from god to them so here's the tendencies of this wrongful king in that scripture putting sons on the front lines of battle that's putting people out there in situations where they're subjected to get ridiculed or hurt or to get the demonic oppression that might come along with it. It's basically having them come and take the bullets for whatever it is that they're projecting or wanting to be done. So it's basically taking these children, these sons, and putting them, daughters, putting them on the front lines. It's having sons plow his own ground and reap his own harvest. This isn't something that's for the temple in that particular scripture or for the greater good. This is for the actual king plowing his ground, reaping his harvest, and then picking and choosing leaders among them, having sons make weapons. So, so this is just taking all the people that they're supposed to lead and help and turning them into workhorses, finding their gifts and then putting them into something that they have to do for that particular leader, having daughters serve with cooking, baking, and perfuming and all of the rest, um, having all the best of their fields and vine 
given to that particular leader, Olive Groves, taking a tenth of your goods and giving it to his own leaders. That's not giving it to the people, giving it to the poor, giving it to his own leaders. And I've seen that in some assemblies too, where it's just the goods of that particular community goes to the top and the top leaders instead of what it should go to. I remember working in, um, at one particular church and I loved the, the person who did the accounting there because she was real tight on making sure that a lot of money wasn't spent everywhere else as much as she had a control of it. And I was responsible for one of the ministries that was uh, feeding the, the homeless. And every single time that I would put in an invoice to try to get money for food, she would approve that thing right away. There would be a check cut right away because she said anything that's going into the mouths of the hungry or clothes on those that are cold or whatever the case may be, she said that's going to take priority over anything else. And so I appreciated that she stood guard over that particular thing. But in this case, it's going to the leaders, making people slaves, and it's saying that after that type of leadership, you're going to cry out for relief. And I know that there are people out there, you've been in situations where you have cried out for relief, and sometimes it was way past the time that it should have been where you were subjected to things or you got caught up in things or you even just volunteered in things or got involved in unhealthy communities and you cried out for relief and you finally had enough. And I'm telling you that this was talked about way back when. And the king, by the way, that they got was Saul. So if you want to look into more of what happened, you can look into the life of Saul. So it's really, really important that we pay attention to the places where there is idolatry. Watch out for services, conversations, and events that all surround around the pastors and the leaders and their lives. Watch out for that. It's okay for there to be pastor appreciation. It's okay for there to be definitely honoring people. And I want to tell you, I have met so many pastors and so many leaders and so many, you know, um, rabbis and, and leaders that are just wonderful and they just really, really love the community and they love their people. So I don't want you to think that there's an anti kind of, you know, um, uh, view about that particular thing. That type of a job is not a nine to five Monday through Friday when they're doing it, where they're really serving the people and paying attention to all the needs. It can be a 24 seven thing. So all honor to that. So they deserve to have those times where that's acknowledged, you know, and I acknowledge it, that that role is not easy. It is not ministry can be very ugly. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> just even with doing everything the right way, there's some things that you have to deal with that are very, very difficult. But when so many conversations and things are around that particular leader. That's where it gets unbalanced. Also, pay attention to the fact where there is a sense of the leader can do no wrong, where nobody can ever have a conversation about a question. They can't ask a question or wonder about a specific decision that was made. But basically, like, that person is untouchable. And I know that Sometimes that scripture of like touch not God's anointing has been misused a lot. You know, that is in the Bible and there is a context for that. But every person should be able to be questioned at times if there are things that, that are not understood. If it's a CEO, if it's a CFO of a company, if it's a pastor, a rabbi, a leader, whatever it is, there should be an appropriate time and an appropriate way that 
things can be asked, things can be clarified, or where you maybe just disagree on things. That's okay because we're all humans and we can agree to disagree on things. Also watch from a shift from God to a man or to a woman. We're now, instead of talking about God, we're talking about now all the scriptures are kind of pointing towards that person's life or what they've gone through or what their vision is versus God, the real context of what's in the scriptures. They stand in their own context. They shouldn't be bent and they can be used as an example for things, but they shouldn't be bent and twisted and turned towards whatever's going on in that particular church or local body and look for a shift from the community to a single person, right? The emphasis should always be on the community. Also, another thing to look out for is a proper board of directors. Every nonprofit should have an appropriate board of directors. They have to. But it should involve people from all professions, some from inside and some from outside the organization, that have expertise in handling the business and the ability to be objective. It shouldn't be staff. It shouldn't be family members of that executive leader or that particular pastor that are on the board of directors. That's a conflict of interest. It shouldn't be their friends of the pastors or whatever. There should be objective people. There are, there are things that have to do with the law, maybe lawyers on there, paralegals or whatever, things with finances. There should be somebody who knows how to run a business and balance books. There should be people who have experiences that they bring to the table. It's always a big red flag when a board of directors is just basically like the boys, you know, or the internal workings or staff, because if you're getting paid by that organization, you shouldn't be making decisions on the board about whether or not there's increases or whether or not X, Y, and Z is happening. It's a conflict of interest. And that's what happens a lot of times in these circles. And that's where things get real murky. There should be a transparency of church business or business related to the organization, the nonprofit, meetings, publications where salaries, where appropriate, or church income and spending is shared, but not necessarily people, but where there's some sort of a book or a, this is how much we spend for, for salaries, this is how much we spend for this, this is how much we spend for the missions department. There should be some sort of open book or meeting or uh, publication that shares the business. So it's an open viewing and the ability to ask questions. That's not being uh, disrespectful or, um, you know, causing trouble. It's about you being a part of an organization that you want to have some basic answers to. Um, there should be accountability of that pastor or leader or rabbi or person. There should be a very clear understanding of the chain of command beyond that pulpit that if anything should go wrong, a tragedy, a moral or legal issue, there should be a trustworthy group of individuals to handle those matters. The person or people that are there in the leadership, if somehow they decided tomorrow to just go awry, they do something horrible or they have something really tragic that happens in their lives that disables them from being able to stand there, what's the chain of command? What's the protocol? That's something that everybody should know. You should know that there's that person or people that you can go to if you have concerns. And that shouldn't be a secret, and that shouldn't be looked down on. You have a right as a member. You're a member of that church or a member of that organization, and you have a right to be able to ask those questions. So the other thing is that 
There is the freedom of congregants and community members to know that membership in a religious organization is voluntary. I just want to say that again. Membership in a religious organization is voluntary. That means that you are free to join and free to leave at any time. You don't have to go through all sorts of, um, you know, levels or layers or justifications. If you decide that that organization is unhealthy for you, you can decide that you are no longer going to be a member. Again, you know, it's not the type of thing on a whim. Like if you decide you don't like the color of the wall that was painted, you know, you might be a little overly sensitive, but when you realize that this is no longer healthy or there's some red flags that are going up, you have the right to be able to just leave, to join and leave at any time. You're not bound to remaining somewhere that is unhealthy. That is including any type of a relationship that you're in. If you're in a romantic relationship that's unhealthy, if you're in a community-based place, if you're in an organization, a church, a temple, a mosque, if it's unhealthy, you are free to leave at any particular time. You can leave and also you can speak to people about your experiences. It's not being nasty to talk to people about what you've gone through. If you've gone through something and you need support, then you are free to be able to speak about some of the things that you've gone through without being reprimanded, without being blackballed. Simply because you're sharing the unhealthy traits does not make you someone who betrays. And it doesn't make you someone that should be shunned or ostracized because of the fact that you've left. I remember at one point leaving and moving on from a church a long, long time ago. And, and, you know, honestly, truthfully, there were some great conversations with the pastors. Um, you know, we were able to end on a really, really good note and to address some of those things later on. But I remember one congregation member called me up and basically told me that, um, because I left from this particular church, that there were going to be curses that were going to be coming upon me and my family. And even though I knew that that wasn't true and I rejected what was said, that was something that I wrestled with a little bit because that was put out there and I had to break those words. But I know that other people have been told that very same thing, that if you leave a church, you leave a community, you talk about it, that curses are going to come down upon you. And that is just ridiculous. So I just want to free people up from understanding. You don't want to go gossiping. You don't want to go spreading horrible rumors. You don't want to be, you know, disrespectful. I'm not promoting any of that stuff, but because you have opinions, it's okay for you to be able to discuss it. It's healthy. You need it so that you can heal and move on. The other red flag that I see a lot of times is disregarding outside professionals. This is really, really important because most people that I've seen um, and met with, um, you know, in life have had some very real supernatural experiences and answers to prayers. And this does not invalidate the fact that that does happen. God can and does heal and does address a lot of things and set people free. So that's very, very real. However, these are some of the things that I have found have been discouraged in some of these community organizations, doctors, hospitals, surgeons, and specialists. There's been even times where I've been in an assembly where somebody has needed 911 to be called and they've refused to call 911 because it looks bad, you know, for that faith-based community. And the truth of the matter is, is that if you look in the Bible, you can see that Jesus was not like that. 
Jesus actually, when the lepers would come to him and, and, and have him lay hands on them for healing, he would heal them and it would be instantaneous, but he would always say, go show yourself to the priest. And what that meant was that he wasn't going to be the one, even though he knew it was true, he wasn't going to be the one to sign off and to say, yes, these lepers are healed and you can go ahead and return to your communities and infect people if you're not or whatever the case may be. He made sure that he went along with the professional in that particular time, that priest that acted a lot like a doctor, that was the one to declare and to check to make sure that they were healed. So to disregard doctors, hospitals, surgeons, specialists is not lining up with biblical teaching. Uh, psychiatrists, therapists, and counseling. I remember when I really first became very passionate about God, there were so many negative things that were spoken about counselors. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with psychology or anything. They, they would say horrible things about the whole mental health field. And I still see people struggling with that today. People who really need counseling, people who really need to be on an antidepressant or to have a psychotropic medication because they're not stable, um, who feel horrible about it because the message that's gone forth is that those professionals are not needed, that we'll just pray and we'll give you strategies. And I've met with people who have applied every strategy under the sun. And guess what? They need the counseling. They need to go to a prescriber. They need to have medication. It's critical. A lot of times there's a disregard of addiction services like NA or AA or rehabs. If you know anything about addiction, if you know anything about substance use issues, you'll know that those places are absolutely imperative for people to remain sober and clean. And just going to church or just reading the Bible or just being able to declare a scripture is not going to change the fact that there is a very real journey towards sobriety that people need. They need to be able to have supportive services. Sometimes there's a disregard of police, lawyers, and probation officers. I remember there was a um, person in one of the congregations that I was a part of who had gotten arrested and uh, was on probation and the probation officer went to the church to talk to somebody in leadership and let them know that this person was a part of the congregation because that was part of their role. They had to warn them that this person had charges and that leader basically disregarded what the probation officer said and invited them to some event that Friday night, like basically tried to evangelize the probation officer. And the truth of the matter is, is that probation officer was there to bring safety to the community of people, like what I talked about at the beginning. And that probation officer was disregarded. And so it's very important that we pay attention to things like that and not disregard them. DCF, you know, Department of Children and Family, that's another organization we may not like it. It may not be their favorite organization or agency, but it's imperative that that is respected. That is a state agency that is put into place to make sure and ensure that children are safe in all situations or any other treatment that's needed. So unhealthy communities will try to handle things internally. They'll try to sweep things under the carpet. They'll try to just assign sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so to try to handle something that really needs to have a professional in the community handle it and you can also then you know have the other supportive people within that church community that can also help but not in place of because if they're not trained and they don't have those credentials 
um, there's a huge risk in that person not getting those services. Um, the other traits that tend to happen is controlling and abusive behaviors. Verbal abuse can happen in some of those communities. I've seen how microphones have been used as a weapon to basically attack people that are there or people that are maybe not there, but they're at home and they're going to hear about it later or people that are going to listen to the, the CD or the, the podcast or whatever the case may be. Uh, where you see signs of abuse in some of those ways, obviously that community has become unhealthy. Obviously, when there's sexual and physical abuse, those are in the extreme examples. But also where um, some of these communities get too overly involved in, you know, who you're dating, who you're marrying, and some of the personal decisions that you make. You're an adult. So when you're in these communities, if you want assistance, if you want opinions, if you want some counsel, the healthy ones will have that there, but at the end of the day, you're the one that makes the decision for your own life, and nobody should be getting super, super involved in directing you and giving you all these specific things that you can and cannot do. They can talk about the moral fiber of what it should be, but to get involved in giving directions for things like that is becoming overly controlling. In some of these places, there's also a hyper-focus on the government, Sometimes there's extreme paranoia that happens or getting overly wrapped up in some of the conspiracy theories and things like that. Um, Anti-government, that's a big red flag. I'm not talking about not agreeing with certain things in government or political views. In a, in a healthy community, there should be a balance of political views. You should have many political views within there. But when it becomes a real paranoia, environment that becomes unhealthy. So um, there should be no controlling of people's votes or political views. You're free to vote the way that you choose. They can offer up things that represent the community that you're in that might help to be able to give you information, but you're free to vote for whoever you want. You're free to express your own opinions and ask questions without being shamed or stigmatized. So what's important in closing is that being together for a common cause can be so enlightening, empowering, and unifying. And we need this. People need this. So it's very, very important that as we proceed in being part of communities that we guard our hearts, that we guard our houses and our homes, we guard our marriages, we guard our children, we guard our finances, our careers, and our dreams, and that we recognize that we deserve safety, protection, and freedom. Thanks for listening. In collaboration with IML Productions, this has been your host, Ginger Wilk, with That Which Matters. Thank you for listening.